My name is Jesse. I'm the youth pastor here at the church. And uh, my message this morning, I've got just a, I feel like a simple, practical message, I hope, for this morning. And it comes off of what happened last week when Penn shared. If you were here last week, Penn, our senior pastor, was speaking here. And he was talking about commitment, and, and then he tied it in with like committing to your time, committing to what your look, week looks like. There's a lot of things you can funnel commitment at to your relationships. Um, to just, just, and then use this example of going through our, our uh, week and budgeting our time. As we, I think most of us would probably agree that you know, if you don't have a, some sort of plan, budget for your money, your finances, it has a way of just kind of disappearing. You wonder where it all went until you start putting it down on paper and you can see where it all went. Same is true with time, where if we have a budget or a, a decision for our time, if we don't have that, it can just kind of slip away from us and you wonder where all your time went. And then he took us through this budgeting your time PowerPoint where he showed us, he went through all the hours of the week. We all have the same amount of time in the week. I'll have 24 hours in a day, seven days a week. And he just went through every single hour and kind of created like this ideal week. And his point was, I think, to show us that if we can commit to it and if we can control that as much as we can, we actually have more time than what we realize. Um, and so he went through that. And for me, when I looked at it, my first response was kind of to scoff at it a little bit and be like, <laughs> you know, 45 hours a week. I work more than 45. There goes that one. Or It's like there's a lot of different ways you could look at it. An hour to get the kids ready if you have kids or maybe an hour for devotions. Yeah, right. I don't have an hour of devotions. There's a lot of ways you could look at that and just like say, that's not for me. I, there's no way I'm going to make that work. And I felt my, I, I, myself doing that in a way where like I was I just had to think about it and I was a little convicted. Because I was like, no, you can actually, if you make the decision and just write this stuff down, plan ahead of time, it can be possible. And Penn himself said, this is the ideal week. It's not reality most of the time, but it's something to shoot for and more or less just to show you um, what you can do when you commit to something. And then for me, I began to think of like, what is something, if, if I'm in this whole thing of, if I don't have enough of time, um, what is one thing that I can do? Uh, that will change that? What's just one simple thing that I can do that can make it feel like I'm not just in this wheel spinning and spinning and running out of time? Because um, that was one thing I felt like from the last Sunday. It was just like it felt like nobody has enough time. and it was, a, it was a great message. It really was. And so when I boiled it down, I felt like God reminded me that one thing that I can do, one thing that I can control to stop the wheel just constantly turning is today, is taking today, whether you want to call it a Sunday, a Sabbath, a rest day, taking today, and I felt like he just reminded me of the power of taking a Sabbath day fully. It's an incredible gift that God has for us. And so that's my message today. I just want to sort of remind myself and, and maybe you the power of what God has for us on today. Um, he, he created it, well, he rested when he, we know he, when he created the world, he rested. It's right in the beginning of Genesis chapter 2. He rested after he did the, uh, he created everything. And then we don't hear a whole lot about the Sabbath all the way until Exodus 20 when God actually makes it a law. So he brings the Israelites out of slavery. So they're in slavery, they're in constant work, 24-7, they're slaves. They have no rest day. He brings them out of all of that, and then he lays down the Ten Commandments, and he actually makes the Sabbath day a commandment. I mean, it's right up there with thou shalt not murder. He says, thou shalt take this day. And it's interesting, he, like, he just lays it out. It's kind of like he's got a gift for you, 
and you have to use it. It's sort of like you giving like cash or a gift card to someone and saying, you are not allowed to give this to anybody else. You're not allowed to use this for utilities. You have to use this for something that you would enjoy for yourself. That's sort of like what I see he's doing here. He's like, let me just read it. He says in Exodus 28 to 11, he says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. So he's kind of like saying, I did it. I want you to do it. He's like, this is my day off. I want you guys to have a day off. I want you to rest. And he's, he's giving this. And then he says, therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day. So he put a blessing on this and hallowed it. And that, mean, that word means set it apart or sanctified it or made it different. And so he creates this law. And that's really how I grew up with the Sabbath. I grew up in a pretty conservative setting where we had certain things that we couldn't do on the Sabbath, weren't allowed to do within our denomination or church. Couldn't, couldn't do. And that was my... Um, uh, that was my. That was how I grew up with the Sabbath, and I'm not there anymore. I feel like you can once you start going down that road, and I start naming down a whole list. Boy, there's no end to it, and soon you're you're doing what they're doing here, which is they just started defining. Well, what is work? Is this work? And they had to try to figure out what counts as work, what doesn't count as work, and you just add rule after rule after rule, and it becomes not the gift that God intended it to me. That was my start with the Sabbath. That's really how I grew up with it. And there's a part of me though that. I'm grateful for it. Like, I'm grateful for how I feel like I was in this same spot where it was a rule. It was almost a law that I had to do. And it, I feel like it did put something deep into my heart now where I, I love this day. I love this day. And I, it's something that I'll never give up because I, it's just something that is so deep into my uh, system that I, I started from making it a rule. And that's really what God's intent was, was here. He knew that if he would just make it more of a suggestion coming out of slavery or say, if you want to do it, you can, it's good for you, they wouldn't do it. They were just coming straight from slavery, from working. They, don't, they, didn't, they, didn't, they wouldn't have taken this, I don't believe so. And so he actually made it a law and a rule. And I feel like that's what happened in my own life in a way. And it's, it's something that I appreciate even to this day. But that's, my heart today isn't to come up with a whole bunch of list of rules that you can and can't do on the Sabbath. I don't think that exists. I want to show you that it's a gift that God's given to us, and he wants us to use it. He doesn't want us to, like I said, if someone gives you a gift, they don't want to spend it on your utility bill or something like that. He wants you to enjoy this gift. He wants you to enjoy this gift he calls the Sabbath day. It's a special day. It's a blessed day. He's set it apart. When you look at um, Genesis 2, it says, when God first took his first Sabbath day, it says he rested. That word rested, I looked it up. It doesn't mean to get a hammock and stretch out on the beach. It doesn't mean to take a nap. It just means he stopped. He just stopped everything. I mean, the old King James Version says he ceased. It says to cease, to stop. It just means to stop. And to me, that's, what I, that's my goal with, with my rest day, Sabbath day, Sunday, whatever you want to call it. It's just a stop day when I'm going to try and stop everything else. If I can do that one thing, if I can control that one thing, I feel like the rest of my week looks a whole lot better, and there's a, there's a blessing in it. It's kind of like a cheat day, sort of like, you know, if you're, there's this popular long diets where you have one day where you're allowed to do anything with whatever you eat, and it's sort of like that's how I view the Sabbath, where it's like, it's my one day where you can sleep in as long as you want, and you, it's, it's your day, it's a gift, it's a cheat day, it's not a... To me, this is just me personally, I've decided to not make it a catch-up day 
I'm not going to catch up on chores around the house or you know, redo something, redo the roof or do this, do that. I've just decided for myself I'm not going to do that. I'm almost trying to become bored. You know, I could, do, I could go out and do something like mowing the lawn, and that's just something that I've decided I'm not going to do. I can do that some other day. I want to be almost bored on this day to where there's just nothing to do on this day. And I feel like if I can experience that, that's a good Sunday. That's a great Sabbath day. It's, I came across this quote from a guy named John Acuff. He says, you have the best ideas in the shower because it's the last place you still allow yourself to be bored. And when was the last time you were bored? <laughs> Probably when you were in the shower, isn't it? You know, it's, that's it. It's like we don't have a whole lot of time to be bored. Bored is something that, you know, maybe when I was 8 or 10, that was the last time I was bored. And that's, that's what I'm like, trying to get back to. I'm trying to cut everything else out and experience the gift of what God has for us this day. He knows that we need this. He knows that we need this rest. He knew that we would need it. And you can see this. There's a great story here in 1 Kings 19 about Elijah. And Elijah is in a place in his life where he's ready to die. He feels, it looks like he feels like he's done everything he's supposed to do in the ministry. He's obeyed what God has given him to do. He's done it all. And he gets no thanks for it. And he's completely burned out tired of life, he says, God, I want to die. Just take my life. And if you look at what he was doing before then, the several chapters before, he was a busy guy and doing some pretty cool stuff. I mean, he just saw so many miracles. He, basically, he, he said, called over the land. He said, there's going to be no rain on this land. And there was no rain. The rain stopped. He went into hiding after that because the king and the queen were after him, looking for him because they were trying to get, find him to see if he could bring back rain. And so he disappeared. And God he hides by this brook, and God brings him the, the, the food from the raven. And eventually, he's just there by himself. Uh, who knows how long he's there, however long it takes for a brook to dry up, um, which is kind of hard to imagine now after... <laughs> this monsoon that we've been getting, but he's in this brook. He's called no rain. There's no rain. And eventually the brook dries up to where he doesn't have any water to drink. And then God sends him on to the next place, goes and finds this poor widow, and he ends up living with the widow. And then her, her son dies, and then he revives the son, brings the son back to life. This is all just happening uh, one thing after the other. And then eventually there's, right after that, there's the great showdown at Mount Carmel. And probably most of you know it. It's when they've got the two altars, and they're trying to see whose God is going to bring fire onto these altars. So there's the prophets of Baal, and there's Elisha and, and God. And so they're calling, the, he lets the prophets of Baal go first and say, see if you can get your altar to start. See if you can get fire on your altar. And they're trying, they're cutting themselves, they're calling out, and they can't do it. Again, most of you probably know this story. And then it's his turn, and he just says, he just asks the Lord to bring fire, and it's like, you know, and he soaks the altar with water before then, and it all burns up. It's an amazing time. And then he, then he goes and executes all the prophets of Baal right after that. And then uh, from all that, he gets basically a death sentence that, when the queen finds him, she's going to kill him. And so he runs for his life. And here's where he's at right here in um, 1 Kings 19. He's just running from his life right after that. And that's like, he's just gone from one thing to the next, but his life sure hasn't been easy. He's been living by a brook until there's no water. Then he's been living at a widow's house who hardly has enough to provide for him in the beginning. And then he goes into this uh, whole thing, and he's running for his life again. So he's completely done and burnt out. We had... Uh, a while back, we had a couple named Curtis and Patty Cluett here with us at Wellspring. They're a great couple that we know from uh, Spain. 
Uh, he's an author, speaker, uh, great friends with Penn, and they were here for several weeks. And one of the mornings that he was here, he was speaking in our discipleship class. And I remember he shared this story, and his point or his his message that he was sharing with us at the discipleship class was how to avoid burnout, specifically when you're in the ministry. And so he shared this story, and he asked us the question. He said, "What was God's response?" to where Elijah, Elijah was at right here. And me, I, being the Bible scholar that I am, thinking I knew the answer, was the first one to pipe up. And I'm like, God said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Which he did. He did. He did. And, and when I read that story, it's, it's, it's almost like God took him by the shoulders and was like, get up. You know, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Curtis says, well, actually, that was his second response. What was his first response to where Elijah was at? And so I looked at it a little bit further, and it's just a beautifully practical thing. Do you know what his first response was? It was cake baked on cools and a little bit of water in a mason jar and a nap. <laughs> and that was his response to where he was at in this time of his life. It's just so practical, but God knew that he needed it. He baked him some cake, had an angel deliver it. It's there just baking on the cools, and he has this gl glass of water, and he takes a nap. And then he gets him up again, says, arise and eat, eats some more cake, drinks some more water. And he runs on the strength of that food and that cake, that, that cake and that water and that nap for 40 days after that. And then after that, God confronts him in a way where he just takes him by the shoulders and says, what are you doing? And gives him a whole new assignment after that and gives him hope and talks to him about the future, says, you're not the only one here. There's more people like you. But he doesn't, he doesn't do that all right at that moment. At that moment, he just simply gives him some cake and some water. I think that's sometimes what we need. Sometimes God knows that we just need a break. We just need a rest. I love that story because it's just so practical and it's something that I completely missed. Uh, there's this proverb in uh, Proverbs 24. And I love what's happening in the proverb. Um, he's got a great message here, but I just love to see what's going on in this proverb. It's uh, 2433. It's Solomon, and he's out there walking. And it says, he went by the field, in, in uh, Proverbs 24, verse 30, he says, They went by the field of the lazy man, and by the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding. And there it was, all overgrown with thorns, its surface was covered with nettles, its stone wall was broken down. I, I, when I saw it, I considered it well. I looked on it and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. So shall your poverty come like a prowler, and your need like an armed man. So this proverb is interesting where it shows like, yet you can go too far to the one side to where you're like the lazy man that's labeled here, where um, your, your life just gets overgrown. Well, your work gets overgrown. It just falls to the wayside because you're doing nothing. And yet, I love what this guy's doing, Solomon. He's an extremely busy guy. He's got a lot going on. And yet, somehow, he's got the time to walk along and to see this overgrown vineyard, to see this stone wall that's broken down, and he stops. He just stops. And he looks at it, and it says he considered it well. I don't know. I just picture him like on a Sunday afternoon. Like he's just strolling along on a Sunday afternoon, and he sees this overgrown vineyard. He sees the broken down wall, and he just, he just stops. And I just had to think for myself, like, when was the last time I just stopped and stared at a stone wall? <laughs> or an overgrown vineyard. We have a lot of overgrown vineyards here. I can't remember the last time I just looked at an overgrown vineyard. And when he does that, it's like God downloads this proverb into his life. And I had to think, like, how many proverbs, how many teachings, how many instructions have I missed out simply because I haven't stopped? I just haven't stopped and considered it well. I haven't stopped and looked at it. 
And so to me, I'm, it's just a challenge to myself to, to take this gift today that what God has for me and to simply stop and to let God speak to me. And you can continue on going down this whole thing of like just stopping, meditating, letting God speak to you. And you we're always thinking, we're always meditating. And if you just give yourself time, God has downloads, he has revelations. He wants to speak to us if we give him time. Psalms 1 David's writing in Psalms 1, and he talks about a man that whatever he does will prosper. He says, He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The verses before that are key. They're like showing, if you want to, whatever you want to do, prosper, here's how. These are the verses. He said, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight, so here's the thing that you should do, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. I have a little note that's with the word meditate. If I trace it to the center of my page, it says, ponders by talking to himself. And it's like, he just gives this picture of someone who's pondering, who's meditating, who's thinking about um, the attributes, the statutes of God, and what, who God is. And it's like, that's where the success is found, because that's what changes your thinking. And then eventually your thinking will change your actions, and your actions are what will produce what he has right here. But it starts with just simply letting God speak, giving God time to speak, pondering to yourself, talking aloud to yourself. It can be good to talk to yourself. It can be. You're not crazy. It gives this other uh, story. Uh, there's one in Day, uh, Samuel, First Samuel 30, also about David. David, I think, had this nailed down almost more than anyone else, where you read through the Psalms, and he, he just took time to process, to hash things out, to talk to himself, to let God speak to him and download things into his life. And there's this amazing story where David has actually gone to the other side and is fighting for the army that he initially fought against. So he killed Goliath, who was part of the Philistine army. Well, in 1 Samuel chapter 30, he's actually fighting for the Philistines. So he's completely switched sides. And he's about to fight against the Israelites for the Philistines with his men. And so he leaves his wife and his family, and all the men leave their wives and families, their city, and they all come together, and they're going to fight for the Philistine army. The leader of the army trusts him, and so they're going to fight the Israelites. The rest of the army of the Philistines looks at David, recognize him. Most of the guys don't trust him. They're like, this is the guy who, he's the guy who killed Goliath. He initially was fighting against us. We don't want him we don't want him with us. We don't trust him because what if he switches sides again? And so they're complaining to their leader, and eventually the leader comes to David and says, look, you can't come fight with us after all. My guys don't trust you. you got to leave. And so he takes all his guys up, and they're, I mean, they're ready to fight. They've, they've come down there to fight. They're ready to fight. They don't want to leave. But eventually they take their guys. They come back down back to their city. When they get back to the city that they left, him and his men, the whole thing's burned, and his wives, his children, everyone's gone. And so they're in this place of just utter despair. And it gives this verse right here. It says, now David was greatly distressed. It's like, no kidding, they just lost everything. And then, for the people spoke of stoning him. So his men are like, they're, they want to do something. You know, you blame it on the leader. you got to do something. So they're like, well, we're going to stone David. They're talking about stoning him because it's his fault anyways. He's the one who took us to fight for the Philistines. Now we left and now all our families are gone. Who knows where they are? They're probably dead. And so they spoke of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and daughters. And then it just gives this one little line. It says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. 
It's like, that's what he did. He just, he strengthened himself in the Lord. And then all of a sudden, it's like, he has the strength. He goes and he asks the Lord, is my family still alive? Should I go after them? And God says, yes, go after them. You'll get every single one of them back. And he does that. He takes his troops. They go after the, the people who took his family and burned his city. And they get every single person back. They get all their wives, the children's, everybody gets, they get them back. And it just ends in this amazing way. But it's because he learned how to strengthen himself in the Lord. And it doesn't say what he did. We don't, we don't really know what he did. It just says he strengthened himself in the Lord. And I think if you read through Psalms, you can see it gives us some, just some clues to maybe what he was doing when he strengthened himself in the Lord. It says, I came across this verse in um, Psalms 119, uh, 23 and 24. He says, princes also sit and speak against me, but your servant meditates on your statutes. Your testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. So what he's saying there is like people are sitting and speaking against me. Princes sit and speak against me. So it's not just anyone. It's people in authority. People are speaking against me. He says, but here's what I do. Meditate on your statutes. Just like what he was talking about in Psalms 1. He's thinking about, I can just imagine him just thinking about how God has brought him out of things before. If you look at, uh, I read it in the message translation. I love the message translation. It's always like, I didn't know the Bible said that. <laughs> it's, it's great. It's a different way of looking at it. Um, it says, while bad neighbors maliciously gossip about me, I'm absorbed in pondering your wise counsel. Yes, your sayings on life are what give me delight. I listen to them as good neighbors. And so he just, here's how I imagine it. I imagine David, when he strengthens himself in the Lord, he just gets off by himself and he just starts to talk to himself. He just starts to ponder. He starts to meditate, similar to what Solomon was doing when he was just looking at that stone wall and the overgrown vineyard. He's just thinking, he's, he's letting God speak to him and he's thinking about how God has worked for him in the past. He's thinking about, I can just imagine him saying, there was that time when I first started, I was in the, with the sheep and there was that bear and that lion that was taking sheep and I managed to, to kill them both and you were with me that time. There was a time that I was up against Goliath, totally outmatched and you managed to, you, you worked with me then and, I, and it, all, it, it worked out, it all worked out. There was the time where Saul wanted to kill me, still wants to kill me, wants to kill me and I, you, you got me away safely. And so I can just imagine him like going over all of these times, meditating, thinking about how God has got him through things in the past. And eventually realizes that, no, there's actually more for my life. This is not the end. My people are not going to stone me. This, there's, you have a whole lot more for me. You have a call for my life. And I, I, that's how I imagine it. I imagine him just meditating on the attributes of God, how God has brought him out of things in the past, and eventually changed how he went forward in the future. And it gave him the courage to just, and the boldness to ask the Lord, where are they? I know they're out there somewhere. Where's my family? And it, it ended up in a beautiful way. And so it's, I'm kind of going down a little side trail here, but my main point, I feel like to bring us back again is, to me, if I can just take a day, if I can take this day, Sunday, and it can be any day. I mean, I know we all have different schedules, we all have different seasons of our life. Um, I feel like, you know, some, some people, this is their busiest day. And you look at our pastors with uh, Penn and Nelson, this is probably one of their busiest days of the week. But if we can take a day and uh, just stop in that day, just simply take it as the gift that Lord has, that God has for us and stop and just create time to let him speak to us. Meditate, think about, you know, just, just basically have time to be bored and let God show us what he's done for us in the past, what he can do us for, in, for us in the future. Uh, I see that just working it deeper and deeper into my life where I just need, I need to take the gift that he's given 
uh, to me. The Sabbath was made, it was made for man. You know, we got it so twisted, or the, the Israelites, the Jews got it so twisted up where they, they uh, created a, a whole system of rules and Jesus comes along and he just simply says, no, this was made, this, this is your day. This is God's gift to you. It was made for you, not you for the Sabbath, but God has this gift. And it's up to us whether we want to take it and how we want to spend it. Uh, but it's an incredible gift that he has for each one of us. And I feel like if I can just simply take the gift that the Lord has for me today, the Sabbath, or a day from the week, and um, receive the gift, just use it as a gift and not fill it up with all kinds of other things, it's, it's, an, it's a blessed day. It really is. Can we stand? That's my simple message for this Sunday, really. Um, my challenge to myself and to you is, for the next season ahead, if you can, try not to do any of the to-do items on your list today. Try to make it as empty of a day as you can where there's nothing on the schedule besides coming here to church. And then you know, just see what God does to you. Create some time to, to go stare at an overgrown vineyard <laughs> or a stone wall and just let God speak to you in that moment. He has things for us if we just give him the time, give him the opportunity. Today's an incredible day. It's a gift to each one of us. Let's take it. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for the way that you pastor us, the way that you guide us. God, you know what every single person here needs so deeply. You know. You care for us, Lord. And God, I pray for just in the next season ahead that every single one of us, myself included, Lord, that we would, we would learn how to just go through the rhythms of life. You know, I don't know if, there's a, if there ever is a perfect balance to everything. Our lives are so full, and that's not a bad thing. Our weeks are full, and that's not a bad thing. We've got a lot going on. We, we, this, this group, each one of you, accomplishes so much, Lord. And I, I see your blessing on, these, on, on the people here. Um, and Lord, I pray that each one of us would be able to see what taking this Sabbath day as a gift looks like in each one of our hearts, in, in, in each of our days, Lord, that we would know what that looks like, how that looks like, um, and that we could experience and taste uh, this blessed day that you call the Sabbath, this rest day, experience it in a fresh way, Lord. Refresh every single person here. If there's anyone here who's completely burnt out like Elijah was, where they're done, they're tired of it all, um, just thinking it's not worth it. Lord, I pray that you would find that person and refresh them. You know how to do it. You know what it looks like practically. You know how to find that person and refresh them, Lord. And I pray that you'd, you would do that just as you did to Elijah. You'd bring them alive, that you'd refresh them. And just bring, make them stand up again. Let them run on, on the, your strength again. Thank you again for these people, Lord. Amen. Amen. So take the day. You're dismissed. It's a, it's a gift. Today is a gift that God has for us. Enjoy it.